Welcome back to the Only Football Fans podcast. Today, myself and Greg are joined by MK Don's captain and legend, Dean Lewington. In part one of this episode, Dean talks to us about the start of his career at Wimbledon and talks us through everything that happens up until the point where Paul Lintz left MK Don's as manager for the second time. I hope you enjoy. Right, welcome back, ladies and gents. Uh, tonight we've got a special guest with us. We've got Milton Kings Don's capitano, Dean Lewington. Thanks for joining us, Dean. No problem. Good evening. Cheers, mate. Yeah, really appreciate it, mate. It's been really good of you to come on. Um, just a quick one before we sort of get going and have a chat to you about your career, um, bloody long career as well, still going. <laughs> um, we'll just run through a couple of sort of uh, quick questions just to get to know you a bit better, mate. So. <laughs> First one is, who was your childhood hero? Uh, growing up, it was probably Stuart Pearce. Oh, right, yeah. He was as a left back when I was younger. Yeah. Um, he was someone that I used to look up to and sort of enjoy the way he played. And there was a bloke at Fulham called Andy Sayers, which unless you're a Fulham fan, wouldn't mean a lot to you. But in the late 80s, when we were, we were smaller dabs at Fulham and he was a striker for Fulham. He was one of my favourite players, but uh, not many people apart from Fulham diehards actually know who that is. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've not heard of him. Yeah, on the ground this game, it probably would have been Stuart Pearce. Pearce, that's not a bad bad idol to have, mate. Not a bad one, mate, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what's your worst habit? Uh, probably putting things off. Just... Uh, if the bill needs paying or something needs doing, it's, uh, <laughs> I'll do it later or pay for this later or I'll do something later and then before you know it, it's a month gone past and there's no car yeah, tax or there's no, uh, <laughs> no insurance or something like that. So yeah, just delaying, delaying the inevitable. It's easily done, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's your biggest fear? Uh, in life or in football? Any Anything really, mate. Uh, could be yeah it could be like just something that scares you it could be something silly like spiders or something but yeah anything really oh, yeah I'm a lot of animals uh, recently I've, I've developed a fear of heights since turning 30 I don't know why it's happened but um, I'm not a fan of heights anymore so yeah that's probably it's mad isn't it how that happens because when you're young everyone's just got no fear and you just that's it and then as soon as you get a little as you say and turn that age and you got yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Went on a holiday to like to Budapest or something. We were looking around one of those churches and tried to climb one like the, the steeples for the church. Got halfway up and couldn't move my legs. I, I was like stuck to the wall, and I was <laughs> thinking, I don't know where this is, where this has come from. But I can't do I can't do heights anymore. It's it's really uh really bad, and I don't know why. But yeah, that's 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 come on pretty bad. That's strange. How that can just like a bit like Greg was saying when you're young, in it. I've always been terrified of heights. Like, even as a kid, like, I remember all my mates going to, like, Thorpe Park and Chesington and all these places. And even as a kid, I was like, fuck that, I ain't going. Like, I'm, not, I'm not even going to pretend that I can, like, face it and, like, try and big myself up. I'm like, nah, not happening. I've always been sort of scared of anything, like, off the floor, basically. Shits me yeah. up. I'm with you on that. <laughs> um, which team do you support or did you support growing up? Uh, growing up, it was it was Man United as a kid. Oh, um, I would have loved that. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was just when they 
like the gigs in its team, sort of start yeah. of Sky, sort of start Premier League football really. So, um, <laughs> when I was a couple of before, I was Liverpool, I had Liverpool kits, but I don't think I was a Liverpool fan. I, I like that crown paint kit they used to have. Um, that is a classic. So we had that when I was about four or five, and then we moved on to Man United, and but it, was, it was always very loose to be fair because sort of dad in football. Yeah. Um, we sort of followed him around really. So I've never been a real, like, I don't really have a team even now. I don't have a team that I, I particularly yeah. follow. I always wondered that actually with with people that sort of grow up in the game, like have a parent that's a, that's a footballer and like, obviously your dad, Ray Lewington, was a quality player and sort of played for a few different clubs. I always wondered if that was one of them things where the, the kids would just sort of follow the teams that he plays for. Yeah, right? where he was at. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was it. I mean, because when we were younger, he's, he was at Fulham, which was um, like League One or League Two now. Um, it wasn't really like he went to school on a Monday. He didn't really want to say he supported Fulham because, <laughs> uh, you know, it wasn't that, they weren't that glamorous or no one yeah. knew who they were. So you sort of had your big team and then you'd follow your dad's team sort of thing. And uh, got to an age when I was like 13, 14, where I just sort of lost a that sort of connection with a team and it, it's never really happened. So I'm sort of a bit of a, don't really follow anyone, just sort of, I like certain clubs and managers and sort of follow them, follow them around really. Yeah. Wimbledon, not... Wimbledon, Dean. Wimbledon. Uh, <laughs> you're supposed to say Wimbledon. <laughs> <They're gone now. laughs> you're trying to get him in trouble. <laughs> um, and then the biggest question of all, this is the main one that I want to know about. We ask everyone, Marmite. Love it or hate it? Uh, love it. Yes. Get in. <laughs> yeah. Like a twiglet, it's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you can't beat a twiglet, mate. We've got like, a running question. We do that with everyone. And Greg is our only one who's on here. Like, and it's only me and Greg on tonight, but I've he's only had one. on a podcast that doesn't like Marmite. I've only had and one it. person that says, like, no, they're with me. Who, who was that? Was that Seb? Seb Carroll, yeah. That was Seb Carroll, and he had never had it. I We had to... Like he went out and bought it the next day and sent oh, really, a yeah. video of him trying it, yeah. <laughs> and he fucking hated it as well. So, yeah, it's only Greg and Seb so far that that ain't sort of interested. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's get into into your career in that, mate. So um, you started off uh, at Wimbledon, uh, going through the YTS and that. How did that sort of come about? Did they pick you up at like, a really young age or? And was they the only sort of team that you had trials with to sort of get into, or how, how did it all come about? Yeah, it, it was. Um, I was about six or seven, and um, I was playing up two years. I was playing my brothers, brothers two years older than me, so I was playing with with Craig, my brother. So um, I played up two years, and I was playing for his team. And Craig had got spotted and asked to come, and they asked me to go as well. Um, and I was younger, so he said, well, "Listen, just come for your training." And there was no team at that time. Um, so it was like first year, two years was very loose. Like I used to go in for Easter camps and, and training days. Yeah. Um, and then when I got to about eight, when you could sign, I signed just for Wimbledon. So really from from a really young age, I was always connected with them. And it was, wasn't really a case of a trial. They just said, no, come in and train. Um, they'd like games occasionally at that age sort of thing. And so, um, and then from then on, it was just progressed through you know, the years as you do. And then, um, you know, signed with YT at, at, at 16, really. So it was, um, it, it was good because, like, they were, the, they were the local team. They trained in Thames Ditton, uh, which was five minutes from my house. And in terms of, like, after scoring that, it was, it was a lot easier for me to get to training because it was 
five minutes down the road and it was local, so um, it, it, it was good. Yeah, that's quality, mate. Um, what was that like as well, sort of learning your trade? Because obviously it's changed throughout the years. Um, it's a completely different ball game now for, for the young kids that are coming through in the game. What was it like sort of during the era that you come through? Was it very much a bit more old school, sort of cleaning boots of the of the, the senior pros and all of that? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, we, I probably caught like the fag end of, of that. Um, we just turned to an academy. So the age group changed to under 17, under 19. Right. Before in the old days, it was YTS, was just under 18s. Um, so it just changed, but we were still doing jobs. Uh, you had your, your, your pros boots that you had to wash, uh, do the balls, the kit, um, put all the, the stuff out for training in the morning. And it was it, it was better than the old, old days where you get you, know, you had to paint the training ground and, <laughs> and all that kind of game. But um, we were still, we had jobs to do. And, you know, Wimbledon was a really, really tough environment. There was uh, still a lot of the, the old sort of shenanigans going on and it was um it was like a tough school and like the, the youth team was was tough it was you know, a lot of they sort of gone a lot like sort of inner city kids a lot of you know boys with a lot of attitude and a lot of you know things to prove and um it, it was a tough it was a tough school it was, it was the best I mean they were we had brilliant coaches and kids that were so hungry and it, it just made for a really good combination of uh of circumstances for a youth team. Um, it was really enjoyable. I'll bet, yeah. You, you you touched on like the sort of shenanigans there. Obviously, it comes all the way through like with the crazy gang and that. Um, was there, I was I was going to touch on that as well and ask you sort of, was there anyone sort of still about at Wimbledon then that was sort of doing any like naughty stuff? And if so, who was the, who was the worst culprit? <laughs> they, they just, they'd, uh, we had Terry Burton as our head of academy. And Terry was, no, he was like this fantastic coach. And um, he, before in the old days, women used to have crazy gang on their t-shirts and stuff. And Terry had yeah. gotten rid of that. He went to change the persona of the club and be a bit more technical and, the, you know, a bit more forward thinking. And uh, so Terry was kind of anti it, but you still had some players um, crossing over. It would have been sort of like Ben Thatcher, that kind of era. Oh, uh, like post Vinnie Jones, but... Not quite there yet. So we had um, Ben Fasher, I think Blackwell was still around. Uh, Ian Selly, uh, Ships was still there. Um, oh, so there was a few, a few of the old school. I mean, Fasher was one that you were sort of a bit wary of. Um, yeah, like, he's, he's very yeah, so he was one. But because we was only first year, we didn't have too much to do with them. Um, you, know, you had separate buildings and you were sort of you very rarely sort of crossed paths, which was, you know, the way it should be really, because we were trying to, you know, trying to stay out of their way or... I bet. Not involved, <laughs> yeah. Oh, fair play, mate. Um, and then, obviously, like, you, you, you come through the, the academy and that there um, and broke into sort of, the, like, the, the senior team, first team, uh, was it 2003? Just at sort of the time where Wimbledon was in a bit of trouble and... Pete Winkleman was about to sort of come in and, and change things over to, to Milton Keynes. But you ended up playing, uh, your, was it your first full season? Was it, it was still Wimbledon, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. Yeah. What, what was that sort of environment like? Did, did, were you fully aware of what was potentially going to come of it? And did it sort of filter in through the players and that as well? 
Kind of. I, mean, I don't want to plead ignorance because obviously I was aware of it, but looking back now, I don't probably not as appreciative of everything that, that I probably should have been. Um, you know, you're in the kind of like a little little bit of a bubble and it was just like, this is the way it's going to go. Um, you know, every day someone come in and say, these are the plans for the new training ground, this is going to happen. Um, and it just seemed to, it was just rumbling on for about two or three years. It was it was just like an inevitable, this is what's going to happen. And, um, you know, there was quite a lot of fan protests by the time they'd just been relegated. Um, so they lost a lot of like, that exposure from being in the Premier League, dropping out of the Championship. They lost a lot of that media and, and, and sort of that side of things and so it, it, it sort of almost slipped under the radar in, in a certain extent what was happening um, and then the club sort of fell into an administration um, before the move happened um, and then from that point onwards like players got sold and it became a bit of a circus in terms of um, no, there was no fans at the games um, we were playing at Sellers in front of sort of 600 people I think it was at the time was that um, must have been weird, wasn't it? Nah. It was yeah, I, mean, I was I was sub and you know 17th man a lot for that period. And then it just became a bit unworkable, really, where there was about a year, 18 months of complete limbo where sort of Wimbledon sort of disowned the club. They sort of didn't want anything to do with it in terms of fans. They hadn't gone yeah. to Milton Keynes. And so they was just stuck in this weird kind of place where <clears throat> nothing was really happening and uh as you said, I think the Norwegians pulled out at that time and it was sort of touch and go whether the club would, would just um, would just stop. And you know, we had, in the summer, we didn't get paid for three months. Um, and so we, we didn't really know whether we were, we were coming or going, really. So it was, it was a really uncertain time. And, uh, you know, it was so much going on that you, you probably couldn't get your head around the full picture at, at the time. Yeah. Um, go, go on, Greg. But so bearing in mind that that's as you say, you wasn't making the, the team as, as much, you was on like the 17th man. Being like your first experience, how, how was that for you? And like, what was you getting from the older players as well? Like, you know, although it would probably be the first time that it's happening to all of you, for you just making it as a professional to obviously then being a bit more seasoned, was it sort of? How could they even help you? Because it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so unprecedented, isn't it? It's yeah. I mean, they. I mean, from the youth team point of view, that's that's all we ever knew, and yeah. so you know we hadn't played in front of the crowd before. So for us, it was it wasn't too bad because we didn't. You know, an empty stadium is what you're used to in the reserves. It's, it's not a, a big thing, and then we had a lot of uh, like Craig's year, like Joby McEnough, uh, Ledger Wood, that kind of adjunct man they'd broken into the team, but they were still youth team players. And so, well, from our youth team, so we knew them quite well. And so you had that natural friendship with them. Yeah. And the older players were basically trying to, trying to get out. Um, they were, they had no, they could see what was happening really. And for their careers, I don't think they wanted to be a part of it. And so the senior <laughs> players were really just trying to jump ship. And the younger players were sort of seeing it as an opportunity really of, you know, if someone left and you might be in the team or, you know, so it, it was yeah. a really, really strange time. And our players were sold, you know, in team meetings before games. Um, they'd be like a team sheet up and they they sold Ajiman before before a game at like half 11 in the morning during a team sheet. And then uh, 
<laughs> got a phone call and they said, like, Pat, you, you, you're, not, you're not playing. You've been sold to, I think it was Gillingham, I think, at the time or something. So, Jeez. Scored some goals and all, didn't he, I had you, man? Yeah, yeah. Lightning quick, he was, uh, he was a good player, actually. And it was, it was just a lot of upheaval. Um, and I suppose it helped being young because you just didn't know. You didn't play football, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, didn't know any different, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then sort of, I, I was going to say, what was the sort of reaction and to you staying when it became MK Dons and, and the move went through. What was the sort of reaction from the, the Wimbledon fans and the rest of really the, the, the footballing fraternity? Because it was sort of, was the first ever real occasion that this has happened over here. Like we, we, we've got uh, some, some friends that we talk to that are from across the pond in America and they're, they're football fans and they don't look at it as really a, a big thing because... In sports in America, it happens every other week. A club yeah. moves location just for multiple different reasons, finances or whatever. Um, so what was the sort of reaction? And, and was there much sort of backlash from the rest of the football community and Wimbledon in particular towards yourselves and towards yourself and any other players that, that stayed around? We've got to show this. Even, even though I played for Wimbledon, I played for Wimbledon in Milton Keynes. Yeah, that's it. Because oh, yeah. you you moved, then you were still Wimbledon when you yeah, went. So I made my the year I made my debut. We were still in Wimbledon, and then the following season we was Wimbledon in Milton Keynes. Yeah, and so um, was that the hockey stadium, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it was, uh, <laughs> um, so we we was there, and um, and so the first game there was the fan pro. They had fans come up, and then I think when the whistle blew, they I think they they burnt their shirts and got back on the train and, and went home. Um, and that was kind of, you know, you knew it wasn't popular. But as <clears throat> in terms of personally, we never really got any abuse. We was only 19, 18 at the time. Mm. And there was a lot of us from the youth team that were still playing mm. that had just sort of, you know, your, your, your contracts were the same club. You just sort of carried over. Yeah. Um, and before that, obviously at that point, there was no social media. And so in terms of actual interaction with fans, it was only really at games and they just weren't coming to games. And so you, you wasn't having that sort of stuff that you might have now where you'd get messages or... Of course, or, yeah. Or, or that kind of stuff. So it was a little bit oblivious to probably the the sort of the feeling of the fans personally. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think at that stage, when we was that young, that there was, you know, we were 1918. We wasn't the architect of women and going to Milton Keynes. It was, you know, of course. Lots, lots of other people that have... Yeah. doing other things and we were just the ones that were happened to be stuck in the middle at, 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 at that time. Not like you've been at Wimbledon seven, eight years in the first team and then all of a sudden decide, oh yeah, I'll stay. Do you know what I mean? That would have been a yeah, difference. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was it different. And when we, when we moved, there was, I think my first game, there was six boys that was in my youth team that were playing. Um, and so it kind of felt Easy, normal yeah. in a way because yeah, we was all, it was just like a youth team of game where we we all come up together and so it felt like we was women in a way because we was all from that same youth team and the same yeah that same sort of shared past yeah exactly yeah um and obviously like you, you're still at MK Dons now and have been for you, for your whole career one question I wanted to ask you is are you a one club man because technically you are uh technically I legally I am yeah my contract's never Wimbledon is Milton Keynes legally. 
Yeah. Uh, and so legally I am, but they don't count my Wimbledon games as, as MK Don's games. Right, gotcha. So, yeah, it's... Because you've recently, you recently sort of made the 800 appearances for MK Don's, didn't you? So, yeah. like, the 30-odd that you made for Wimbledon is sort of separate to that then? I, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Because um, I didn't know how it would sort of... Don't exist in MK's mind, basically. Is that what, it's, it's, that yeah, what that, saying? Yeah, it's kind of a strange... Um, yeah, I, I kind of see it as... I don't know. I don't think about it too much. It's hard to separate the two for me sometimes. I can obviously understand there is two and it feels like two, but yeah, sometimes it almost feels like one continuation for me. But um, yeah, I would say probably two. You know, it's, yeah. it has to be two, really, when you look at it, really. I think. Exactly. Yeah. I yeah, it just it popped into my head earlier because I was thinking, like, Technically, he's a one-club man, but it's like, how does that sort of sit, you know? Yeah. Um, and before we sort of get into, into your career, the other thing is, obviously, I, I'm born and bred in Wimbledon and lived in Wimbledon like majority of my life. So yeah. I know the sort of animosity towards MK Dons from the Wimbledon side of things. How do Milton Keynes fans feel towards Wimbledon? Do they hate Wimbledon? Like, no. they don't care. I wouldn't say I don't care. Um, it's not the same feeling as it is from the other side. Yeah, I always wondered um, that because it's, yeah. It's kind of, I, mean, it's I, so I, I, think, I think it's mainly because there's so much feeling against us that there's a little bit of pushback against them. Cool. Um, but I don't think it's a genuine hatred or like they have for us. You know, like, I think it's just a bit more of a sort of, Defend yourself. Yeah, and yeah. it's strange because we have we do have fans that that followed us from Wimbledon to Milton Keynes. Um, What's the sort of percentage of that? Because that's another thing I, I wondered. About, how many sort of about eight hundred? Really, four, four to eight hundred that, that come over. Which you can see like the same, like at a time, Wimbledon's fan base was five or six thousand is a fair proportion, really. It's a um, decent percentage of them, yeah, yeah. and and they still. It's when people say about the clubs, it's, it's very hard for me because I, there are still some people that generally see it as a continuation of Wimbledon. Um, yeah. I think mean, everyone's got a different take on it, a different look on it and how it is. And I'm not sure there's a, there's a right answer or a wrong answer. Yeah. It's just how you feel personally, what what it is sort of thing. But we do have, um, yeah, quite a few that followed us from, from the Wimbledon days. And I think they probably got a little bit more of a, grudge against AFC than probably yeah. the Milton Keynes based fans sort of thing. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? It's such a strange yeah. sort of situation. Um, go on, Greg. Yeah, because, I mean, it's not, although Milton Keynes is so far, it's not like they haven't done it before because obviously, I mean, I, I grew up in Plough Lane, literally just over the road from Plough Lane and they've done it before. So they, they moved to Sellers. I mean, that ain't Wimbledon. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're Wimbledon. playing in Crystal Palace. So, but again, the whole thing of obviously it's being 70 miles away rather than, you know, maybe yeah. just a 10 or something. But yeah. it's mad, isn't it? Like the whole the whole thing, how it just happened and the way they broke away and made themselves a new club and that it was it just it was it was weird because I mean I remember at the time them going into step eight or wherever it was with this yeah, new yeah. club and, stuff, yeah. and they had all these fans, it was crazy. 
Yeah. Very cosy. Yeah, I mean, I, I went to a few of their games at the, the start because a few of my mates were playing in non-leagues, like casuals and yeah. Uh, yeah. and they would bring loads. But if I was free or I didn't have a game, I'd go and watch, just, just put a hat on or something and just turn up and, uh, yeah. and go to a game. So I, I remember playing against them in pre-season when they first sort of like broke off. And the fact, I've, I've never played in front of so many people. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> it, was, it was mental. Yeah. I'm, I'm used to a man and his dog. And then they're bringing... Fucking, I don't know, it was foul, like, you know, a couple of thousand. Yeah. Mental. I, mean, I do think that for 20, maybe 25 years, the problem started like 25 years ago. Yeah. Um, they had to leave Plough Lane. There was no plan to go back. Like, the area at the time, like, no one wanted the stadium anywhere. Like, they tried desperately for years to get a stadium. They've always got vetoed or no one wants it yeah. in their back garden and blah, blah, blah. And they kind of got left in nowhere and I'm, not, I'm pleased now that they've managed to get the dog track and that that's moved on but um, yeah, it's good and all. finally managed to go back there but that just wasn't viable 25 years ago no of course um, the dog track was doing alright and different circumstances um, and it's, it's just a shame that the club had to leave for them for the the council and the people in charge of those kind of things to then give them the land to actually have the stadium yeah um, it's it's mental, nice isn't it? That. Because if they if they could have kept around Wimbledon as just like at the time one club, it, it's there's there's plenty of space to put it somewhere. It's got to be. Yeah. Like, yeah, they tried. I mean, they tried everywhere. They tried like Rohampton Vale. They tried. Yeah, just missed out. Yeah. On, must have just missed out on a trip. Yeah, it's just it, Premier it, it, League football. Obviously. Yeah, I mean the land obviously Sellers was never great. I mean, they, they didn't have any revenue from the bars and they had to give lots of palace and stuff. So there was always, yeah, always on the back foot. Once, as soon as they left that, like, plough lane, there was, there was always on the back foot and it, it was just a matter of time, really, before it, it sort of went pop, really. And uh, it, it was a shame to, you know, it was, it was a brilliant club. It was um, it was unique to its its time. You know, it, it punched yeah, way it beyond its weight and um, it, it, was, it was great. It was a shame that, that it sort of had to end the way it did, really. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is a shame. But like we said, they're sort of back as Wimbledon as such and they've now got the stadium in Plough Lane, haven't they? So it's almost like if, if that never happened, that, that they wouldn't be in the position they're in now anyway. So Yeah, it's, it's a nice stadium, to be fair. It's, um, have you have you played there now? Yeah, we played them. We beat them 2-0. It was... Uh, <laughs> awful. <laughs> Get that <laughs> one smile in. on his face. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lovely stadium, to be fair. So it's... Uh, Really nice. Um, pitch was great and facilities and that, you know, a lot better than what I had at Kings Meadow. And so it's um, it's, it's definitely a big foot in the right direction for him. Yeah, I was I, I did want to ask about like if you've been there because obviously the fans ain't been allowed in yet. And being from around the area, it was one of them things that loads of people that are into football from Wimbledon was like, when they go back to Plough Lane, you got to go, ain't you? You got to go yeah. and watch. Yeah. So it's a shame because like no one's been able to yet. So I did want to ask what it was like, but. That's um yeah, it's good to hear, mate. Um, but yeah, anyway, so sort of like your first season when when it became MK Dons, um, was you, you was down in League One or was it was it called League One then? Was it division? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it just changed. Yeah, but um, and you managed to stay up in your in your first season uh, as MK Dons on goal difference that I, I saw yeah. earlier. Unbelievable! <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, was there um? Sorry, who, who was the manager? Was it Stuart Murdoch for that whole season? Because he came from Wimbledon, didn't he? 
Um, he, he got sacked in uh, November, December. And then Danny and Wilson. Danny was took over for the yeah, last five months, six months, whatever that was that season, yeah. Right, so... Stuart uh, was goalie coach for many years at Wimbledon and then become sort of first team manager through everything that was happening, sort of thing. He sort of got left in charge and, uh, yeah, he was in charge for the first first five, six months. Oh, wow. Um, and, yeah, so, so he, he kept you up and then the following season... Um, it didn't go so well and you, you did go down in, into League Two. Um, and then Mad Dog came in, yeah. Martin Allen. What was he like? Because I've heard some stories about, about Martin Allen, so I wanted to pick your brains on. Yeah. Have you got all, any stories on the man? <laughs> they'll all be true, to be fair. He doesn't, doesn't disappoint. He's, uh, he is what people say. He is. He's, he's like, when they say like the scale of genius and madness being you know then of the circles he's yeah. he is like that he's some of his training was the best I've had um wow his personal development of you as a player um making you responsible and doing extras um every day there were sessions to do extras you could choose like one of four sessions before training after training he was real he was really good at that side of things and then he had this switch when he went from genius to complete nutcase and he was just thinking, oh, well, no, what's, what's going on here? He was like, he, he just, uh, uh, we were training on roundabouts, car parks, um, service station. We were training on a service station once in a car park. Um, he just had this real, just like clear in his eye where he thought, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And uh, he, he was, he was a great bloke. To be fair. I, I did enjoy my time with him, but um there's a lot of um, he's, he's just like before a game we'd have away away game you'd be having your pre-match and we were staying in this big hotel and they had a big dance floor still up from a wedding I think the night before and then um, this music come on so everyone's thinking oh, what's going on here and he said oh, football's about relationships and moving together so you have to pick your player next to you on the pitch and go and do a duet dance oh, no. together <laughs> Um, so he had like it was like two minutes per couple um, on, and like, we thought he was like you know, a bit of a joke and just do a few funny moves but he was like no no two minutes so he was like going up in twos doing like ballroom dancing oh, in, no. in this massive hotel and he, he was just sitting there just loved it like everyone was just like you know squirming in their chairs not don't want to do it he found it he found it hilarious. And, you was know, he giving it the old of, nine out of ten and all that? He was, yeah, he was loving it. That was him sort of thing. He was... Uh, who he was, was your partner, I think? I think I had a boy called Nicky Rizzo, a little Australian kid. Uh, we did all right, to be fair. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we was the worst, but <laughs> he, he was just... Uh, he was very off the bat, but at the same time, he, he had a lot of really good ideas. That is fucking mental. I love that. <laughs> um, go on, Greg. Oh, me, mate, I've, I've not heard fucking shit like that before. I mean, that's mental. <laughs> but no, I was going to right, because my cousin, he, he, he was um, manager at Brentford at the time, like, for my cousin. And um, he sort of said he loved his time under him as well. Um, again, just the same sort of thing. Mental on one part and then very good manager on the next. Yeah. A, a character. Did you hear yeah. Nick, Nick, uh, Nicky Forster as well talk about him? I think he yeah. had him, might have been at Reading, maybe, I can't remember. 
but um, he said he would call over like there was one one stage where he was asking so like one of the defenders basically didn't put oh. a tackle in properly, and he's like, "Hey, no, you fucking tackle like that is shit. This is how you tackle." And he'd call like, he would call over. It wasn't really, the youth team. He'd send Brendan Rogers was their yeah, youth yeah. team manager, and he's like, "Send <laughs> someone over." So he send over this like fucking scrawny like fifteen year old, and he'd say someone pass him the ball. He'd pass it, and he would just scythe him down. Like just standing there, this poor kid just gets smashed. But I'm fine. He's like, that's how you tackle. That's what happens. It was I mean, we we trained. I think we played Oldham or something. We tra- we was training in a park in Manchester. Um, but it was it was it was getting quite dark, and we was doing team shape just in a random park. Um, and there were some kids watching us train. Must be like twelve or thirteen. And he made the subs go and play a father side against. These little uh, like thirteen year old kids who were just like join a game, so the subs are over doing their thing like with these just little kids. We're doing team shape in the park, and he had a cone out who was their their main playmaker, and we was doing shape, and we went into him who was going to get tight to this person. And we he said to someone play the ball to a cone, and this I want you to get tight to him. Someone played the ball, and he's he's running, he's two footed the cone. And then he's on the floor, he's elbowing it, headbutting <laughs> this cone, like just in about a minute of just punching the cone, <laughs> stamping on it, like, and then he's got up all straight face and said, That's what I want tomorrow. When he gets the ball, I want him done, sort of thing. And everyone was just, no, he just sort of stood there, like, you don't have to laugh or the sort of thing, like, <laughs> What is this geezer doing? But he kind of got his point across in a way. It was a. Uh, it's him. Kind of brilliant, yeah. Oh mate, he's an absolute hero, the fella. <laughs> Go on, Greg. It's a couple of players at that time, um, from what I think I've written down is so you had uh, Keith Andrews came, um, and Leon Knight was another one that we've we've kind of hit on him before with a couple of pl- people we've had on. Just what was was he a live wire as much as what everyone thinks? Yeah, he was fun boy, mate. Yeah. I got an okay with him. I, did, I, I he, he can sort of rub people up the wrong way, but I, I, I was like, I was liked and thought he was okay. Um, You're one of the few, just, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, people don't seem to, but he was, <coughs> he was one of them. Like when he come in, he was if if he was, you no, know, your turn to be like, he was gonna have a bit of a stick at you or whatever. He'd be on your case from the minute you come in to the minute you left, and yeah. he'd just be one of them little people that would just just grind at you, just like little comments and little remarks and he just wouldn't let it go sort of thing and uh he had this really funny laugh that he used to do and he was he was very loud but um he was he was a sanity kid but he just sort of I suppose just overstepped the mark every now and then and it sort of got into trouble but it, it wasn't in the bad way sort of thing. I never really felt it was malicious with him. Um no, he was but he was just like very like old school banter mm. from the from the get-go and I think the game was changing a little bit and people weren't quite willing to sort of have that sort of yeah. banter anymore sort of thing and he sort of got caught in between the two but um, yeah, he was he definitely made things a little bit interesting when he was when he was around. Yeah, I think he's a bit of a throwback night. I think he'd have been better in sort of a yesteryear because he'd have got away with more, wouldn't he? He's uh... Yeah, yeah, camera phones and that wasn't his friend and uh, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Just, uh, just uh, it wasn't good. I, his Twitter account for... 
a little bit was hilarious. And then, and then he got kicked off, didn't he? And he went, it's, he sort of... It comes and goes. He goes in waves of getting banned and then all of a sudden he's back. But yeah, it's, it's been off for a while now, I think, his Twitter. Yeah, and that, that was him really. Like he was, you know, it was really funny and then it, it just probably go a little bit too far and then, you know, he'd have to pay the price a little bit. And that was, that's kind of his, <laughs> his career and that's probably the way it went for him really. He'd done really well and then just sort of something happened and he had to sort of move on or, or, yeah. or go somewhere else. So. Because it weren't his ability holding him back. Do you know what I mean? The boy had talent. He, he, he'd score a goal. Well, like you said, he'd, yeah. go, to the tuck. he'd go to the tuck shop. That's what he yeah. did. Tuck, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Keith, was like, Keith was he, how was he, mate? Like, as obviously, um, he had his, I suppose, was he already an international at that point? And no, he was, he'd come to us from Hull. Um, and I hadn't heard anything of him, but he was Wolves captain when he was 17. I think yeah. it was when they were in the championship. Um, and to be fair, Keith, easily the best captain I've ever played under. Um, just a proper bloke, leader, everything you'd expect the captain to be. He was like the original sort of kind of kind of one. Um, and he was really, he was a much better player than he ever got, got sort of credit for. Good yeah. football, um, yeah. And he'd be easily in the top top five of players I played with. Um, you know, for the year and a half he was with us, he was mm. he was he was top draw to be fair. He scored things like 25 goals from the field in one season. Oh, um, just a real sort of leader of men, like no nonsense, sort of just sort of laid it on the line and led from the front. And uh yeah, he's, he's a good bloke case to be fair. Um and during that that first season Martin Allen was there, you, you finished fourth in the in the league. And end up losing out uh, to Shrewsbury in in uh, in the playoffs. Um, one of the sort of catalysts for you having a, a good season as well was uh, Isaac McLeod. The guy used to score shitloads of goals, mate. He, he was one when we first knew he was coming on. So we've got to talk about him because yeah. what what was he like? How, how good was he, and how far could he have gone, sort of thing? Isaac, he was probably one of the quickest players I've ever played with. He weighed about seven, eight stone. He was lightning quick. Um, unbelievable acceleration. And he he scored the best goals that I've ever seen. Unbelievable bicycle kicks or 30 yarders running past 10 people. And he also missed more sitters than I've ever seen a player miss. He was <laughs> he just couldn't work like he, I think he scored 20 goals for us one season and he could have scored 60. Um wow. He, he, he put himself in a position. He, he was very, very good. Um, he just needed a little bit of more consistency. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, he went from us to Charlton and got quite a serious injury. I think he just got called into the England under 21 team. Yeah. And then he got a bad knee injury, and it sort of like his pace was his main thing. I think. And any sort of injury was always going to be a, a sort of hamper for him because that was him really. Like he was just so quick off his shoulder. Um, but he was, uh, yeah, during his time with us, he, you know, he scored a lot of goals. And you know, back in the day, like old St. Arts were old and slow, you know, <laughs> like now, like it doesn't really do it, it moves on a bit. But you know, especially League One, League Two, you had your big old sort of meathead center half sort of thing. And <laughs> Isaac was the last person anyone wanted to play against, he was just, yeah, he was so quick. But um, yeah, he's, he scored, he's got some unbelievable goals, yeah, he was class, mate. Uh, go, Greg. But yeah, as Terry mentioned, you you, you made the playoffs um, against Shrewsbury. Did did Joe Hart play for them that season? I don't know. 
I don't know, honestly. Um, I, I was trying to have a look, and I was, I was, because obviously I know he went there, didn't he? For well, he, did he start there. He started there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they, yeah. Was that was that the old Game Meadows? I'm not sure. If, I don't know how that puts him. Um, yeah, I was trying to have a little look about, but I, I, I just thought I'd ask. Must have yeah, been in the era, that. to be fair. Yeah, that's what I mean. I was trying to find out. I was trying to trying to find the teams and whatnot, but I, I was struggling a little bit. Yeah, yeah I, I they had a boy up front. I think Luke Rogers. Um, the same player I really remember them having. Um, can't remember anyone else in that in that team apart from yeah. the little striker up front. Luke Rogers, I think he left um, that season. I don't remember him. Oh, there you yeah, go. He left that season. Yeah, he left, he left that season for City. Um, he left in 06, and it was the 06, 07, wasn't it? So, yeah, he, he left then. Um, and then the following year, the club moved from the hockey stadium, that beautiful place that we mentioned earlier, <laughs> to your current stadium now, Stadium MK. How happy was you <laughs> that that happened? Because like, I've been to the stadium as an away fan, um, with Leeds a couple of times, and it's fucking lovely, mate. It's a quality, yeah. uh, quality setup there. Yeah, it's a great stadium. To be fair, it is. Um, it, it was good because when we were leaving Wimbledon, there was these plans for stadiums, and um, you know, every day there'd be like a, a different kind of how it was going to look, and you know, different designs and stuff. And we've been promised when we were Wimbledon, we've been promised training ground stadiums before, and they never happened. And we got to Milton Keynes and it'd been two years and nothing happened. And you start to think, you know, is this another sort of false promise and this is where it's going to be? So to actually be in that stadium was was quite comforting like to know that they built it and it was it was there, it was going to be there for a long time and it, they'd actually said what they was going to do. Um, but the stadium is brilliant. It's, it's obviously too big for us as it currently is. Um, What's it old? Like, About 30, is it? 30, yeah. Yeah. 30,000, which is, we get like eight and a half, nine. So it's obviously, it's a big stadium. But, you know, I think they was looking more to the future and sort of, if you're going to build one, you might as well build. Yeah. Build it now rather than having to keep changing it every every few years. So, um, no, it's a great stadium and it you know, deserves to be at a better level than it is than it is currently. Yeah. Do you think that sort of, because obviously, like, we'll, we'll touch on it, you, the level like that you've got to like get into the championship with with MK and do you think that if the club sort of got to that level and solidified at that sort of level in preparation to sort of go even further and potentially to the prem that the the capacities will start sort of to to pick up because of that do you reckon? I think so. Yeah, I think it, it would help. Um, yeah, you know, like I said like when we had like yourself come to MK, like I think you bought like seven thousand, I think it was, and. Yeah, we had you fucking know, loads, mate. You had, yeah, it was ridiculous. And I think as a spectacle, you know, if you're bringing your kids to it and you've got 7,000 leads and 8,000, it, it makes it a, a better atmosphere and it makes it more interesting to newcomers and stuff. Um, so it, it definitely would have helped to, to bridge the gap that it needed. But, you know, I spoke to so many people that said, you know, when we was in League Two, oh, if you get to League One, I'll probably come and watch. Yeah. Then do. And then if you get to the Championship, I'll come and watch. And it's just like, yeah, those kind of fans, they there's, there's, they might come to a few games, but they're not going to be your sort of your fans every week. And so, you know, their strategy really has been to aim at the kids. Um, like under twelves go free at our place. Um, 
It's a good so, strategy, mate. Fulham. Yeah, they're trying, trying really hard to get the younger generation. Just hope it builds. It's just going to take a little bit longer than they probably thought it would do. Um, but as you know, like football events is a pretty strong, and mm. even though people are in the city are Chelsea fans or Arsenal, they won't come and watch our game because they're they're a Chelsea fan, you know. So they're you know you might need their kids to come and watch rather than sort of the old man or, or yeah. whatever. It is a good strategy to sort of tap into that youth uh, of the local area as well, because obviously being a, a relatively new club as such, like especially in that area, it's tapping into that the the next generation. Because once them seven, eight, nine year olds are eighteen, nineteen, twenty, all of a sudden they go, "Oh fuck it, I'll go to MK." Yeah, Dunham, you know I mean? yeah, definitely, yeah. But um, yeah, go on, Greg. Did you have something, mate? It was pretty much that, mate. Just like. How how actually MKs have they like Milton Keynes have they taken you in as such and that is obviously you've just touched on it like you're going for the the kids side to try and get that next generation in but the older lot like now so that's they they're just as you say they've already got their teams and they're just not coming yeah we, we, have, we have a lot um, over sixties like granddads yeah um, that. It might have been Arsenal fans, but they've moved to Milton Keynes and it's too far for them to go and they go watch them football and, you know, they, they enjoy the day out. Um, and then we have the, the young families and we're sort of, we're missing the chunk, sort of core, like your age, sort of yeah. lads, uh, girls, sort of 20 to 40 year olds, where understandably they're, you know, their teams are on TV a lot or they just don't want to come and watch you know, MK, they're, they're a Chelsea fan or they're a Tottenham fan and they, they don't want to do it. Um, and so you just got to wait, you know, try and entice the kids and, and do what you can in the community and, and hope eventually that it, it sort of builds. But I think any success on the pitch always always helps. Bring of course it, it does, yeah. It definitely helps to, to accelerate that. It's just that, you know, I think when we had the big games, we had like Man United and Liverpool, yeah, Chelsea, like the stadium sells out and it, it creates a buzz in the, in the city and everyone enjoys it. But when you've got Crawley the week after, everyone doesn't seem so keen. It's, um, so it's, it's up to the club really to try and get as high as they can. So it would definitely help in terms of the fans. Yeah, most definitely, mate. Um, and then at the end, like the end of that season, I, I don't know what happened, but Martin Allen moved on. I don't know if he, he got sacked or whether he left or what, but Paul Lintz then come in. Um, yeah. What was he like as a character? Because you, you sort of hear two different sides of things. Sort of the, the player side of things, where he was the governor as such, and sort of bit of a hothead. Um, what was he like as a manager? Was he was he similar? No, he was more measured. I think as a manager, um, yeah, yeah. This obviously he was Paul Ince, and so he had a massive reputation, and he had instant respect in the change room because of who he was. And so we didn't really need to have that temper because we was all like patting his hands anyway. And you know, he said you were you were jumping to do sort of thing. Um, but he was he was excellent. Like I, I got, not got a bad word to say about him. When he come in and um, sort of try to bring his experience at a high level, kind of in terms of what they would do. Um, in the low levels is a bit more sort of getting their face run hard yeah. sort of a bit more honest and he sort of kind of peeled it back a bit and said no at the big clubs this is what we do and sort of trying to change the mentality a little bit and um, it worked really well we had a really good team 
Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he was very good. Training was good. He was a good coach. Um, you know, he was, he was like the first manager. He, we were top of the league and we come in on a Monday and he, um, he said, like, how are you feeling? I said, yeah, really, like, really good. And he was like, listen, we're really pleased. You're playing really well. Um, but get yourself home. I'll see you Thursday. Wow. And I was, it's the first time I've ever had a day off in my, up to that point. I was like 23 or 24. It's the first time I've ever been given a day off extra other than like a Wednesday. And I was just like, no, no, I want to train. And he was like, there's no need. Just get yourself home, go and play some golf. Um, <laughs> yes. And I went, yeah, it was just like, it was a test. So I'm like, I'm half arguing him saying, no, I'm going to train. And he was like, like <laughs> don't don't need to. <laughs> uh, just get off. And he, he had that kind of, you know, as I said, like, you know, most people think you have to work harder, but he was just a bit smart and he was quite good psych- psychologically just to sort of say, like, have a couple of days. It's, you know, two days is not going to make a big difference every now and then. Yeah. You, you think go home, do, do, you think, do your stuff. Shouldn't that come from his time abroad in Italy? Because they have that sort of different approach in terms of that. Like, they, there's more days off and the diet side is a bit more important than it is over here. And do you think yeah, that, he, that sort of touched on? Yeah, he, he really, like, <clears throat> he spoke more about Milan than he did any other club um, when he was talking about different places he's been to he had a lot of stuff that he spoke about coming from when he was at Inter yeah. um, well he regrets you know, leaving didn't he because basically the owner loved him as well yeah a good relationship yeah wanted him to stick around but he came back for sort of family reasons to bring his kids up and that and yeah. the owner wanted him to sort of go into the sort of coaching side and Sporting director side and all yeah, of that. They, they loved him over there. Yeah, they really, they really did like him. And uh, he, he sort of brought a lot of that, like the massage. Um, I said the diet. Uh, we was allowed to drink on a Friday night. Um, he said, like, I mean, it was unheard of. We was, we was having dinner. He said, does anyone want a glass of red wine with your dinner? And so automatically, we all say, like, <laughs> no, no, I don't think. He's like, listen, that's like, if you want a beer or a glass of wine, it's not a problem. It's, you know, don't before a game won't affect your performance. It might relax you. And we all said no, because um, it was just un... Yeah. Was, you, know, not you don't want to be that one to go, yeah, and smash it down, right? Yeah, and so <laughs> it, it kind of kept offering it. And then uh, we had Blackwood, Kev Gallon, the old QPR striker. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. He's brilliant, to be fair. Like, he's a funny, funny bloke. He was out of the team. He was, I think he was 17th man. or And he said, listen, if you ask this week, Everyone say yes. <laughs> uh, so man said, "Anyone read him?" I said, oh, "Like, yeah, we give it a go." Tonight. And so there's a table of eight with glasses of red wine, and Kev was just <laughs> necking it, and we was all just passing to the right every like ten minutes, and Kev was just on it, just smashing back. He did about two and a half bottles of red wine by himself. Um, did he walk out? Uh, but he was a. Uh, but Inzi got brought that sort of culture in of, you know. Um, just a little bit of a different way of looking at things in, in, in our, especially at our level in League 2 where it's sort of a lot more like you've got to work as hard as you possibly can and, you know, be fit and train every minute of the day sort of thing. So, um, yeah, he was excellent. That's brilliant. Go on, Greg. So, uh, so did he, he come in and won the league and then won the league trophy as well? Um, yeah. What? So, apart from, like, as we just touched on, like, that side of it, what... What did he change in a footballing side to get you to their winning stuff? Fair, he had some good players. We had um, we had a really good team, um, and 
he's, he, he was very, we, we passed it, but we were like very front-footed. Um, we, we just had a good mixture of, you know, we, we could have it with people. If they wanted to have a fight and want to play, yeah. we would do it as well. And um, we just had a very good team. We all knew our jobs, we knew what we were doing. Um, just in a way, we were, we were basic, but we were very good at doing the basics. Yeah. Um, with lots of good players and uh, you know, good at set pieces, good at defending set, like stuff that sort of goes unnoticed but picks you up five, ten points in the season. And uh, he sort of gelled it all together. And the, the group was probably my best in terms of a group of players. It was probably the strongest group of how we connected with each other and how we made you sort of become teammates was probably the strongest bond I've had with, with a group of players. Because see, Jake, Jake Livermore, did he get Jake Livermore in? Jake came in, yeah. Jake came how, in. how was he? How, he was obviously a young player at the time. Yeah, he, he didn't play much, Jake. He came in, he was he was, he was a good size, to be fair. And back then he came in and um, he, he didn't really play a lot. We had uh, Keith in the field and a few other lads. Uh, Colin Dyer. Cameron, little, little Scottish lad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Jake was mainly a sub, but he was, he was quite quiet back then and sort of kept himself to himself. He was, you know, you could tell he was talented, but... Yeah. Um, he was more sort of used as a summoning for, for for that little bit that he was there. Hmm. What what was that like as well? Win, winning hmm. your your first trophy, mate, football league trophy at, at Wembley. What that must have been some feeling. Yeah, even though it isn't sort of one of the the big sort of domestic cups, your FA Cup, League Cup. It's you've won the, you've won a trophy at Wembley Stadium, yeah. like. Yeah, exactly. I mean that. I mean, it's, what's it called now? Papa John's, whatever they call it. It, was oh, it changes every yeah. other season, doesn't it? It was Johnson's paint back then. And I mean, we all, up until the final, I think most players don't really want to play in it. It's one of the competitions that the kids get put in and it's a bit of a, it's a bit of an annoyance, really. Um, but as soon as you get to that later stages, it becomes, Friendly. yeah, it, it turns into <laughs> a big deal and everyone's desperate to play in it. And as you said, you know, the point doesn't get the greatest viewing figures or whatever, but for the people that are involved in it, it's your day out. You're, you get a chance to play at Wembley. Um, like I was lucky enough to win at Wembley. You get to lift a trophy on the balcony. and That's um, captain and all, mate. No, no, Keith oh, was captain. Were you, yeah, you not a skip skipper then, was you? No. I was right him, yeah. <laughs> Second in line. Um, but it was just, uh, it was, you know, it's just a, one of them days you don't forget. Um, you know, not many players get to, to play at Wembley and it was, you know, it was a huge honour and, the whole experience around it was was just brilliant, and I think even now, you know, twenty years on, that trophy still exactly the same. That the early rounds is is a bit of an annoyance, but it soon becomes a brilliant chance to play and, and win a trophy at Wembley, which is uh, you know, especially in the lower levels, you know, you, you know, it's, you ain't get to the FA Cup final every year, so it's it's something that you sort of you sort of treasure, really. Yeah. Did um who, who was there for you on the day, mate? Did did dad get to come and was was Craig there and yeah, uh, my dad come. They uh, family got like a, a mini bus or big bus actually. Come um, saw my aunties and uncles and uh, friends come and so I think there about 50, 50, 60 people there wow, in the cool. end. Um, which is it's nice. I mean, that's what those days are really. Yeah, just, you know, yeah, of course. Yeah, we might come in your family and that. And it's um. It's just a, a special memory because it, it just doesn't happen very often. So it's um, it was a great day. It was baking hot as well today. And uh, it was just, uh, in a way, perfect, really. Like to win it 2-0 in the last 20 minutes, we kind of knew that we'd won it. And so you could really enjoy, like, actually 
I'm at Wembley playing and I'm going to win it sort of thing. So it was a <laughs> crowd was giving it away. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> That's fucking so That's good, good, mate. Um, and then at the end of that season, NC's got headhunted by, by Blackburn Rovers um, and, and gone there. For some reason he shouldn't have a fucking Venkies in charge. Well done. Um, <laughs> but he's gone to Blackburn and then Roberto Di Matteo came in. So an, another massive name in, in, the, in the game of football. Um, and did he make you skip it straight away? No, he... Uh, Keith was trying to leave because um, Incy wanted him at Blackburn. Right. Um, and so Keith played I think, two games of that season for us. Um, and then he got sold. Um, and then right. after that, he... To be fair, he was, he was a bit of a strange character. Um, he was very cold. Like, you know, he wasn't... Incy was so like, warm and a very like player, manager. You know, everyone loved him. And Dimitar was... It was the complete opposite. Um, I think the first couple of weeks. me, actually. Yeah, I mean, Keith, Keith was trying to get out. So Keith wasn't being, he was, he was being awkward and he was being, you know, he was, he was doing his best to get himself out the door. Um, but we got on a training camp to Portugal and uh, Dimitar just wasn't talking to the players. He just, he was just ignoring us in the corridors. He would just blank you. Um, we were training and like people had a bad touch or something, he would laugh. Um, it, was a, it was a really strange atmosphere. It was like, and to Keith, I think Keith rang the chairman and said, "Listen, like, if this carries on, like, there's gonna be like a bit of a mutiny, like, a bit of a mutiny. Like, he's having off the boys and he's doing this, and then uh, the next day he started this weird. Every day he come in and shook everyone's hand, um, and that continued for a whole year of every morning, uh, the morning handshake, uh, come in and stuff." And he, he did eventually improve and he did warm up, but the first first six weeks were, were a little bit difficult. Um, oh, it's awkward, isn't it? Yeah, and even the captaincy, he, he put it, he put the band between me and the boy called Sean O'Hanlon, who was a senior player at the time, uh, a centre half. He put the band in between our two pegs, and Sean said, "Is it you or me?" And I, I've got no idea, as um, we didn't know. And we just about five minutes before kickoff, he said, "Who's captain?" And he just said. You, um, it was pretty unconvincing. It was almost like, oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, so you can have I'll it. I'll take it. <laughs> and, so, and that was it. That's that's how it started. It was like you know, it was no come to my office and this is what I want from you, or you just left the band sort of in between the pegs sort of thing. And that's how that's how it started for him. But it was a, uh, it, it, it did improve. It, it did improve. But I think those the first few months were, were, were tricky with him. And that that was his first job, wasn't it? So it's like to um, to go and to do that to the players is, is very weird. And as you say, obviously it took a little while. But once once you got going and whatnot, how was he after that? Like, and and what was the difference between sort of him and Incy? Like, was it obviously with the Italian sort of background, Incy was obviously putting that across. Same for Di Matteo, obviously. What was he putting across to you? Because he had yeah, his best with you as well. He finished third in the Yeah, we had a really good season. Well. Yeah. Um, he was very structured, very organised. Um, so we had like areas of the pitch that like we wouldn't press in the final third. Um, we'd only press the, like the middle two thirds of the pitch. Um, like we were really compact. He did a load of work every day with mannequins. So we'd have like 
a mannequin team out that he was going to play and he would say right back and everyone had to move as if the right back had it, move into shape. Yeah. And then he would move people literally by like five centimetres. He would say, like, Louis, move. And I'd move one step and he'd go, no, no, no. And then oh. make you stand. Um, and he did that every single game. Uh, for every game, did it. Was it 46 times in a season he did it? Um, but we did it. And it, in a way, it kind of got into your into your brain, like without knowing the team was so organised. Um, and by that January time, you're thinking like, actually, we we actually are a pretty good team here. Sort of by <laughs> default, he's just kind of like numb, numbed it into your head a little bit. Um, yeah. And then we, we played some good stuff, and he, he he was he was good fun to work. In the end, he he warmed up. I think he was obviously a bit nervous at the start, um, but he's a bit unsure of like the level and maybe the players that play at the level and, and what to expect. And I think it just took him a few months to sort of to sort of warm up. But um, in the end, he's you know, if, if you watch our, how we played with him, he, he produced a pretty good team. And obviously you finished third. Um, did, did you think in your mind, like obviously seeing him after he'd, he'd moved on and everything and then what he went on to achieve with Chelsea and whatnot? On the challenge, yeah. yeah. Did, did you ever think that he would get to the, you know, just to manage a Premier League team maybe? Or did you actually think he had it in him to go and do something big like that? No, in honesty, no. Um, he was he was he was a good manager. I think he had we had uh, he he'd been quite brutal in in a lot of Inter's players were left over and he changed the training schedule to Mondays off and then trained four days a week up to a game. And a lot of boys didn't like it. It was, it was, it was new for us to do that. Um, it's quite normal now, but sort of 10 years ago, it wasn't. And a lot of boys didn't like it. I mean, a meeting and he sort of said, I'm hearing you don't like it. Has anyone got a problem? And I think three or four boys spoke out against it. And within a week, they'd all been released. Um, and it kind of, I kind of felt like you know, at our level, you can you might get away with that, but as you got the leagues and stuff, yeah. like there's gonna be some big characters and they've all got an opinion, and you can't just get rid of players that are worth 20, 30 million quid. So I always felt that that would be a problem because he didn't really like dissenting voices or people with opinion, and um, I always yeah. felt that'd be a problem. But he done well at West Brom, and you know, he was a nice bloke. I, I, I got nothing against him, and I'm, I'm glad to see that he done well, but. I didn't see it personally. I didn't see him doing it. Yeah. Like you said, he moved on to West Brom and then Paul Lintz come back. <laughs> Is that a strange like feeling for all the players? Like, was, there, was there a lot of the players still left from his his time before? Uh, not, not as many as, yeah. He, we'd lost a lot and um, and he changed, to be fair. He, he, was, he was quite bitter. Um, really? over his experience at, at Blackburn. I think he, he felt he didn't get a, a fair chance and it always felt to me that he didn't really want to be back with us, but he had no real option. option. Like he wanted to prove that they made a mistake and we were sort of the next best thing because of what happened before. Yeah. And it, it never felt the same the second time round. Um, you know, he, he was still... The team had changed. The players, like, he was... The way he was... The players that he had were could be managed a certain way, and the players that we had when he came back needed a different kind of looking after, mm. and he he just never really 
settled back and I always felt that he sort of resented being back at that level um, because he you know, he'd, he'd done really well and you know, he had was it 12 games at Blackburn I think it was yeah it wasn't a lot it wasn't, <clears throat> it wasn't that much I think before we got sat the three games after with like the three teams in the bottom six or something and he felt that he should have been given those games to have a chance and um, so yeah when he come back it, it, it never felt the same yeah um, there, there's a couple of names there on, from from that season that I've, I've, I've got written down. I don't know whether obviously Paul brought them in or not. Andros Townsend. That was the following year, I think, wasn't it? Was it the following year? No, Andros was Ince. Yeah. Oh, was he Ince? Oh, yeah. yeah. I was going to say. Well, from what I've, I've done on the research, it, it, and Nigel Quasi was one that I <laughs> sort of. I was just going to ask. Like, obviously. Koshy, however you, yeah, <laughs> he was a bit of a season pro, wasn't he? And obviously Andros would have been on loan. What were they like, mate? Uh, Andros was, we played against Andros, he was on loan at Leighton Orient and we played against him and he absolutely destroyed us. Um, and then he had him in pretty much about two weeks later at our place. Um, he, back then he had an electric pace, he was so quick um, and he was, he was a really good player, um, but just very young. Um, didn't really sort of socialise in the sense that like, he was he was very professional, um, very strict with his diet. Um, and he, he lived in a house with three other lads, about a minute from my house, and so we used to go out quite a bit together, and even like cinema and a bit of food in the evening. And Andros was very, I sit in my room and I want to prepare for training tomorrow. Um, wow. He was very dedicated at a really young age, um, almost to the too much of an extent, you know, like, you know, cinema is not a bad, you, know, you just need a bit of release sometimes and not to think about stuff. And Come on, Andros, you're boring. Come, yeah, Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear him on Top Sport now and he talk, he does talk very well and everything. So what you're saying kind of does make sense, I suppose, that he's he's been so professional for so long and he, he it's just in him. Probably sitting yeah. in his room practising speaking, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, yeah, it was... Uh, it was a really quiet lab. It was it was good and weirdly, I played with his brother at Wimbledon five, six years before. Who's his brother? Sadly, it was a boy called Curtis. He he, he died when he was 18. Oh he died shit. in a car he died in a car crash when we was in our when we was in our youth team. No way. And um at at, at the funeral, Andros spoke, but he was only he must have been eight or nine, and he couldn't get above the, the platform to yeah, speak. Yeah. And, you know, he was speaking, everyone was, you know crying her eyes out and stuff. It was really heartbreaking. Wow. And then he came back and um, Andrew's never said anything to, uh, to me um, about it. And then he, I see his dad at a game and I said, look, what, what were you doing here? And he said, I'm watching Andros. And I was just like, and I, I'd never put the two connections together. Yeah. So I, I played with his brother sort of six, seven years beforehand. And then Andros, and then I'm not sure if, Sort of the loss of his brother made him that extra dedicated because he felt that yeah you know, he wanted to really have a career and make something of himself and, and blah blah blah. But um, he was a nice kid and dedicated, and you could tell that he was he, he was much better than the than what we were. So you could always tell that he, he, he would go he would go higher. And yeah, I never knew that. About no, nor did I. I've, never, I've never heard that at all. Yeah. Did he never mention to you that did he did he know that you played with his brother and he didn't never like sort yeah. of mention it? Yeah, it's when I spoke to Andrew about it that day after and said, I never knew. And he was just like, yeah, like, it just didn't, 
because he was a younger boy at the time. Yeah, he's like, just didn't come up in conversation, like, you know, that way about it, sort of thing. But, um, mad, didn't yeah, it? I, I know, I know what, like, the feeling though, like, I, I lost a brother at a similar sort of age room when I was young. I was eight when my brother, um, passed away. And I know that sort of feeling where it's sort of like, when, when you come into sort of contact with people that you know were either friends with your brother or whatever, you, you don't, it's, it's weird, you sort of don't bring it up. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, even yeah. though you know, it's sort of like you, you just... Yeah. yeah. I, I, mean, I don't know if it was maybe talking about um, Curtis was painful for him or you know, yeah. brought back emotions and stuff. So, it was, you know, it was one of those subjects where I didn't want to sort of force myself. Once I knew, I didn't want to sort of keep going back to it because it was, you know, you're very yeah. aware that it's, yeah. it's painful for him and, and whatnot <laughs> sort of thing. So you sort of just left it to him to, to be what it was. But... Um, yeah, it was a strange sort of yeah, circumstance that, that we sort of got brought back together again, really. That's mental, isn't it? Unbelievable. Yes. Thanks for listening to part one. Part two will be released next weekend on Saturday the 24th of April at midday. Um, in the meantime, please head over to our YouTube channel, Only Football Fans Podcast, and subscribe to the channel where you will receive videos of every podcast and interview that we release.